Hey there, you are listening to the New Community Podcast. And my name is Justin Bowers. I serve as the pastor of New Community Buckcannon, and we are thrilled that you're with us. I wanted to let you know that right now we have a momentum shifter in our church going on, and we would love for you to be a part of it. We are right in the process of launching what we call the New Community Network and pressing ourselves forward as a ministry into the future with a vision to light up the mountains of West Virginia with the hope of the gospel. So we would love to have you be a part of that. If you are able, if you are interested, log on to our website at www.newcommunitywv.com and click the giving tab and help us continue this ministry that we so love and we're so thrilled to be a part of. Now enjoy the podcast. We are going to have a good day today. I've got a lot of vision to spit at you. I'm going to spit on you with vision today. Is that okay? Um, (laughs) All right. We got a lot of ground to cover today. If you have a Bible, go to Jeremiah 29, Jeremiah chapter 29. This is, in my mind, this is kind of a special day because we're hitting the pause button. Next week, we will be jumping into a series called Just Okay is Not Okay, and we're going to get there. But but today, we're going to hit this pause button, and I'll tell you why in just a few minutes. But I, I wanted to tell you, first of all, where some of us were last week. Most of you know that I talk about two things a whole lot. I talk about tacos and running, okay? So there's more of that today. Now, I I want you to understand the connection here between those two things. I run so I can eat tacos. That's that's the sole motivation, period. But in the course of learning to run, I've kind of fallen in love with it. And in the past couple years, I've learned that running is, and you guys are going to think I'm nuts. I get it. But if I'm out of my mind, it's for the sake of Christ. That's biblical. Um, Running for me is rest in this strange way. It's life-giving. I live with a lot of women, so I get out of the house and run, and I, that's rest for me. It's a place where distractions go away. I don't necessarily let my cell phone interrupt it. That's, that's just a, a good thing for me. So about one or two times a year, Carrie and I will find some kind of race that we can sign up for and get away for a weekend and just be, and it's great for us. And this past year, I found a race called the Smoky Mountain Relay, and I'd never heard about anything like it. So here's the description from the website. A scenic, wild, 12-person team adventure in the mountains of western North Carolina. The Smoky Mountain Relay is an adventure that's not to be missed. This course will challenge you and your friends with tough legs and reward you with stories to last a lifetime. Now, this is the part that I was like, really? It said, choose from the original 206-mile course, uh huh, or the shorter 140-mile course, which is new for 2019. So it sat in my head for a week, and the question in my head was, could, do I have 11 friends that are that crazy? Like, that's what was in my head. Are there 11 people who would, like, do this with me? And I thought, surely not. So I sent out these texts, and they started replying, yeah, this sounds great. This sounds awesome. I don't know how I'm going to live to tell about it, but we'll do it. And so we took 13 people instead of 12. And last weekend, over the course of about 30 to 40 hours, this group hit about 206 miles. And I'm going to tell you, it was probably one of the most fun things I've ever done. Yeah, you're not excited because you didn't, you weren't there. You don't know what happened. But I could probably tell stories from the race here today and not even give a sermon. But let me just give you a quick rundown of how this worked. We were in two vans, six people in each van. The first van would drop one person off and they would start their run. Then we would drive to the next end of her run and the next person would go. And we would do that six times. Then the second van would take over for the next five or six hours and they would do their runs. And then we would go five or six hours. We did this three times, 36 legs total. 
I want to tell you, it doesn't sound like it at all, but this was a spiritual experience for me. I was running down a forest service road. If you've seen Last of the Mohicans, the part where the Indian dies and gets thrown off the cliff, the cliff was on my right. And I'm like, I'm ready. Like, let's, let's go. Like, that's, that's what was in my head. The running for me is always life-giving and hard, but I enjoy that. And I knew running the mountains, watching the darkness move to sunlight, like, I knew that was going to be incredible and running through the night and Here's the thing. After 35 hours together, we had shared life, right? The vans smelled like we had shared life <laughs> together. And, and that rhythm of running followed by 8 to 10 hours riding along, trying to rest, cheering each other on, figuring out what to eat. There was a lot of carbs. Offering support and encouragement only to get out again and run on your next adventure. There was a pace and rhythm, and the rhythm was challenge, rest, recover, encourage, explore, discover, eat so you can do it again, and keep going. And it was shared with people who all had the same vision, the same goal to reach the end of the journey, not die. That was the goal. And we watched, and I'm just going to tell you this, we watched at the end as one of our 12 team members who ran the last leg of the race came out of the woods, down toward the finish, and she began to hug her brother and sobbed. Now, here's why she was sobbing. She, she, had been six months, she should have been six months pregnant at this point, and she had lost twins in a miscarriage. And so 11 of us or 12 of us are watching, and we're sobbing. And we're going, every person in this group had a story, and every person in this group overcame and found their way to the finish line. And at the end of those 35 hours, you know what we needed more than anything else? Tacos. <laughs> and we went and got tacos and we needed sleep because we needed to pause. We needed to hit the pause button. Today, friends, as we are a new community, we need to pause. I want today to be about where we're headed, but I also want to celebrate where we've been. It has been a great season, an incredible season, but we have also been pushing really hard. You guys that are leaders here or volunteers here, you know we've been pushing hard. We've been transitioning buildings and trying to strengthen the systems of the church and the structures of the church. And we need to pause and reflect. But today, it isn't just vision and future. It's about reflection and gratitude. See, today for me is about sharing just really honestly some of the struggles that we've been walking through and even personally my own battles in this season. It's about the hope and direction God has brought about in this season because Here's what's taken place. About seven months ago, our leadership team and our ministry leaders, by the way, I'd love for you to meet them. If you're part of the leadership team, would you just raise your hands real quick? If you're a ministry leader here, kids town, youth, college, any of that stuff, just put your hand up, hold it there. Just We want to be seen. You all tell me people don't know you, all right? Okay, we're going to pray over them at the end of today. But about seven months ago, our team sat down and started asking two questions. And the questions mattered because we felt like in many ways we were at a point where we needed to stop thinking like a church plant. You know what a church plant thinks like? A church plant thinks, how do we not die? How do we keep enough bodies in the room, enough money in the bank, enough energy in the ministry so that we stay alive? They, the church plant tries to get to a critical mass in the room and then move out in mission. Church plants try to become self-sustaining. This is what Bobby's working through right now over in Elkins. They're, they're seeing immense growth. over the, They've had a hard time. The past month and a half, they've, they've kind of like grown, and it's great, and it's still a battle. And summer's scary because people disappear in summer. You know what happens in summer? You have Easter Sunday with 350 people, and the next Sunday it's 175. New community, but can it do you feel guilty? <laughs> but seven months ago, we were six years into this journey as a church plant, and we were realizing two questions mattered. First, the question was, what's next? 
See, next meant that we had to be honest about where we had come from and where we were. I told you several months ago in the old building that, that in our life and as a church at this point, it kind of felt like the middle school adolescent that was like, how's your church doing? Meh. Like, meh, we're, we're there. We've been around. Like, things are just, okay, well, what are you excited about? I don't know. Kind of all feels the same. Like, that's kind of where we were. Things were still fun. We were still seeing things happen, but it was hard. We were tired of a building that rained on us. Tired of a building that tried to make us have frostbite in the winter. Like, those things were hard. People were, were saying, I was realizing people weren't feeling connected in the same way that they did when we were a church of 50 or 75. You know when a church is 50 or 75? You get to know everybody. You get to have one service. You get to see everybody. And we felt that. We felt, how do we, how do we happen to, to understand what connection looks like at this point? But we also still saw the potential and the opportunity that we've been called to live into as new communities. So the question was, what's next? And then the more specific question that we began asking seven months ago was, what does next look like? Like, we can understand what's next, but if we don't spell out what it's going to take to get there, we're never going to figure out how to get there. See, our vision had not changed. We always have wanted to help people find and follow Jesus, what? Beyond Sundays, as, as Trevor shared with you all last week. That's who we are in Christ. That's our identity. But the question that came out of this, and I was hearing this question in my heart, I was hearing this question from our ministry leaders, I was hearing this question from others, what does that mean? What does Beyond Sundays look like? And we found that we were a little fuzzy there. See, there are beautiful things that are taking place in this church. There are lives being transformed. There are people finding connection. There are families growing stronger. But as a team of leaders, we were asking, if we stop trying to survive, what are we trying to become? And what does what we're becoming look like? What does Beyond Sundays really look like? So at the beginning of this conversation, as we asked these questions, this was a scary conversation as a pastor to lead with our team to say, hey, what are you discontent about? Have you ever done that in your family? What do you not like about me? What do you not like about us? That's not a fun conversation. But we had to start there. We found a lot of realization that we weren't do connecting people the way we really wanted to. We found, and I don't know if you know this, ministry is really hard. People get tired, and it's easy to kind of function in our own ministry realm and forget that we're called to this whole thing together. It's easy to run our own leg of the race, but not realize that the race is 200 miles long. And you know what? In that race this past weekend, the same thing was possible. The longer we were awake, the harder it was to support each other. I, I, I ran past our van at one point. And I'm running past thinking they're there to cheer me on. They've pulled off to the side of the road, and they're all asleep. <laughs> and I'm like, what in the world? And as I pass, I hear one of the teammates. I won't point her out. She's in the room. Her name rhymes with Lauren Hatcher. <laughs> and I hear her go, oh, it's Justin. Woo! <laughs> Ministry feels that way, right? Like, we get tired. I know I'm supposed to be about Jesus, but you're really ticking me off, and I don't want to put up with you anymore. We felt that. We understood that. We get hurt. We get hurt. The church can be hurtful. We try things and we fail. And in those places, we need rest. We need pause. We need to reflect and get ready to fuel up and move on in mission again, because that's what today is about. So I want to share a scripture with you, and then I want to answer the questions of what is next and what does next look like. And I want to call you to be a part of this with us. Listen, if you're part of this church, if you're in this church, please don't go out and say, oh, I love Justin's church. Believe me, I don't own this church. 
This is not my church. This is our church. So when we started this church, these were the verses that God shaped us around. These were the identity verses, the seed verses of what our church is. Jeremiah 29, look at verse 1 of this scripture. Here's what it says. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiachin and the queen mother, the court officials and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the skilled workers and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. So let me give you the context. This is why this verse matters. This is a letter sent from a prophet of God to a people who had been ripped out of their homeland, who had been taken into captivity, who had been exiled from their home and taken into Babylon. They are worn out. They're living in foreign land. They're struggling to remember what their identity is. When we started New Community, our hope, our passion was to reach exiles from the faith. People who had never found a home in Jesus. People who had said, I used to know Jesus. I used to go to church, but the church stopped answering the questions that I was asking when they felt exiled. But here's what I realized seven years into this. In the process of reaching exiles, it's easy to feel like you're in exile. It's easy to grow weary in ministry. It's hard. And I will say that I don't feel tired right now, but I know many of you who are leaders, who are servants here, who are trying to be faithful in your walk with Christ. It's easy to get tired when you're trying to reach people who aren't responding. This is where the people of Israel, God's people chosen by him, found themselves, and they received this letter, this direct voice and message of God. Now, before we go too far into this passage, I want you to see the most famous part, the most familiar verse of this scripture. It's verse 11. Many of you will know it. Here's what it says. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Isn't this a great verse? Don't you love that verse? Many of you have received little picture frames with that verse on it. Amen. Many of you have given graduation gifts. Maybe even this week you've gotten that verse. This is so good. God knows our hope. He's got a future for us. We don't have to worry. We're confused. We have no idea, but it's okay. The problem is we miss the context of this letter. I'm going to ruin all your picture frames right now. Are you ready? <laughs> verse 4, here's what it says in this letter. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Here's what God says. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Don't decrease. Also seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Those people that you hate all around you, pray for their good. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yeah, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Don't let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. Don't listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They're prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. Now watch this. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Put it on the picture frame. For I know the plans I have for you. They're going to take 70 years. Plans to give you a hope and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Now, I love this, but I've just ruined your picture frames because God says, I know the plan I have for you, but it may take 70 years. Part of that's because you're hard-headed. Part of that's because I just got time. I'm not in a rush. I've been here all along. See, God tells the exiles, you're going to age here. 
You're going to build houses. You're going to settle down. You're not camping here. This is not a temporary situation. You've got a long haul ahead. You're going to plant gardens. You're going to produce your own food. You're going to get married. Then you're going to give your sons and daughters in marriage. You're going to increase in number. The city's going to get better because of you being in this place for 70 years. So what I conclude of this is that the challenge God offers to those living in exile is don't live in the midst of struggle as if it's temporary. Be as fruitful as possible for as long as the struggle lasts. What if I said to you, church, 70 years from now, we're going to have an incredible building. A percentage of you will be dead, but you will be faithful. But for now, settle down and make the most of God's kingdom in the place where you are. So you know what I'm realizing in this? What our leaders, I think, are realizing is we're in this for the long haul. This is not temporary. What we're becoming as new community, what we feel like we're called to become, the dreams God has birthed and is birthing in this place through all of you, this is a long haul dream. Now we're growing up, we're getting older. When you turn 21 as a church, I'm gonna start serving real wine for communion, okay? Because you'll be legal. And growth is slow. Growth is hard. Growth is beautiful. And our calling as a church has not changed. We still want to reach exiles. We still want to call others home. We want to help those who don't know Jesus, who don't like Jesus and don't trust Christians. We want to help them find Jesus and get to know Jesus like they never have. We are still called to those things beyond Sundays. It's who we are and it's who we're becoming. So I want to take just a few minutes today to the best that I can to share with you exactly where we sense God leading us in response to these questions. I want to share with you for really for the first time some of the big dreams of what's next and what next looks like. Now listen, as we've tried to answer these questions, I'll be honest, it has been a struggle. If you do the math, you'll remember seven months ago we were in that other place, the place that shall not be named. Like that's where we were. And that was followed by the chaos of November when I got the flu and I got a tooth ripped out of my head and I got a call that said, we bought your building. We want to put a restaurant in your building where your kids meet and we can work that out. Pain meds. I was like, is this real? Like, is this? And then we had this massive fast transition and all along the way, we're trying as leadership to say, focus. What, what is God calling us? What, where are we headed? And we pr- continue to pray, to seek God, to discern what was next, what next looks like. And, and so today, as we sense clarity in these answers, I feel like we're getting a clear foundation of direction. And I want you to understand this. We have a paper that I want to start to pass out. Every one of you is going to get a copy of this. Now, this is like school. You cannot read the whole paper until I tell you, okay? But here's what, here's what I want you to say. We've called today Foundation Sunday because I want you to understand where we're headed as a church. If you're new with us, this is a perfect Sunday because you're going to walk out of here going, I either want to go in that direction or I don't. If you don't, you got no strings attached. If you've been here, you get to jump in with us. Several months ago, I shared with you, how many of you have seen the Lord of the Rings trilogy, the movies, or read the books? So what you might remember from the movie, I shared this with you, is that there were warning beacons of Gondor. You remember this story? And they had fire, they had, they had uh, lanterns built, massive lanterns and fires built on seven mountains. And when there was an emergency in one place, they would light the warning lights of Gondor and they would signal across the mountains to let the help know, let their alliances and those who were in allegiance with them know, hey, we need help. There's a war going on. We need you to come and be with us. These were set up as a warning system to know when trouble and the distance could be covered across the mountains by lighting fires on the mountains. In the movie, the third film of the series, as the first beacon is lit under the threat of attack, that great wizard Gandalf, he whispers, he goes, hope is kindled because the fires have been lit. 
And it's in this moment when the next flame is ignited and the spark continues across the mountain. And the whole hope of the movie rests on these lights being lit. Here's what I wonder. Is the world around us, are the mountains around us crying out, longing for the church to respond to their cry? Are we missing the beacons? If you look at the front of this paper, that's the picture of the mountains at the top. We've been asking the question, what would it look like for new community to be faithful to God, on mission with God, and fruitful for God by the year 2025? What is that going to look like? See, over the next five to seven years, the vision we've landed on, the dream that we think God has given to us, is that new community Buchanan will serve as an epicenter. Now watch, I'm going to dream so big. Some of you are like details people. We'll get there today, but now you got to dream with me because I'm in charge, okay? We will serve as an epicenter of spiritual movement of God's healing work in Appalachia, not just Buchanan. Do you know Appalachia consists of 13 states, 206 counties, 206 miles, 206 counties? That's what Appalachian region is all about. We want to be the source of a fire that spreads across the mountains, proclaiming sanctuary under the love of Jesus and empowered by the work of the Holy Spirit. We believe that creating a movement of disciples that reproduces disciple makers will bring this to reality. See, what if, what if the new communities that we launch across these mountains, that every new community that launches across these mountains is a place of hope and sanctuary and spiritual epicenter of discipleship that makes disciples who make disciples who make disciples? And what if these new communities stepped into the poverty, sought to heal addictions, engaged hopelessness, and hungered for God's presence to be felt in the mountains? This is what we're dreaming about. So when we ask the question, what's next, you'll see this on your paper. I think it's on the right side column. The first thing you'll see is we want to be about multiplying disciples and disciple makers. Jesus did not come to earth saying, hey, I want you to go and make churches. He didn't say, I want you to go and make gatherings of people that get happy for a little while and then they're all ticked off at each other and they can't sit in the same row. He said, go and make disciples of all the nations. See, when you plant churches, listen, and I, I'm a huge fan of church planting. There are churches that you plant, and then you grow by addition. One plus one equals two. Now we have two churches. But there's churches that are planted, disciples that are planted through multiplication. Multiplication say, we planted a church, and that church is going to plant a church. Multiplication says, I have taken you into a work of discipleship. We have discipled you for a year, and now you're each going out. And while six of you started in this discipleship process, you have now multiplied, and six of you are multiplying six each, and now there's a whole bunch of people being discipled. And multiplication grows exponentially. We want to be about disciples and disciple makers. The second thing we want to be about is connecting people with purpose. I want to help people understand mission as the very movement of life. You remember the first series we did this year? You don't. I do. Love is the movement. Love is the movement. I don't want to be about church. I want to be about love as a movement into our world. We want to take you somewhere. Listen, some of you are here, and your deal with our church is this. You show up on Sundays, and you drink in whatever God's putting out there for you. Praise God. That's beautiful. I want to see what God does in your life. I love watching that. But can I just tell you, you're missing the dessert if that's all you're eating. If you're eating spiritually just by showing up on Sundays, but you're not engaging the mission as the movement of your life, you're not getting involved serving, you're not getting involved in becoming a disciple, you're not getting involved by carrying the gospel into the world, getting connected to some sort of small group, some sort of men's ministry, women's ministry, youth ministry. If this is all you're getting, this is good. This is maybe meat, but it's not the good part. The good part is getting out there in the world. We want to take you somewhere. 
And then the third thing that we've really landed on is we want to be moving mission and mountains. We want our mission to continually press outward. It's not just about us. I hope that some in this room, that your hearts break for the condition of our our region, for the condition of Appalachia. Do you realize we are a stigmatized, isolated, alienated, prejudged group of people in this region? And do you realize that's who Jesus went to and said, I'd like for you to come and follow me? We are sitting in the heart of a place that Jesus would come to. So that's what's next. Now, the where I want to spend some time today is this. What does next look like? Okay? These are big dreams. These are things that if you're a numbers person, you're going to freak out a little bit. You're welcome. Start praying because God's got you involved in it. What does next look like? Here's the first thing we would say. We are believing that in this process, it would be a work of God to see 100 new families. Now, I would say that could be a single college student. That's a family. That could be single parents. That could be traditional families. That could be grandparents raising kids. That could be foster families, adopted families. That could be anybody. But we are trusting, we are asking God for 100 new families to find sanctuary at New Community Buchanan by 2025. Can you imagine? Listen, this is not about numbers. This is not not about padding my ego. My ego died a long time ago when 350 people showed up on Easter and half of them came back the next week. It's like my ego is not involved in this. But I'm praying for 100 new families to find hope and sanctuary here in this place. So how do we do that, right? Number one, we go back to our vision, multiplying disciples and disciple makers. We go back to saying, what does it look like for you to become a disciple, for you to jump in? A year ago, I killed our community groups. I did. We were stressed out. We were exhausted. People were starting in September. We kicked off community groups. Everybody in the church was like, this is awesome. I'm changing my life this September. We're back in school. We got a good schedule. We're ready to go. I know I need Jesus and I need other people. Let's go. And by May, they were all gone. And we were spread out, including me, busy, right? Like we get spread out. And I said, God, what do, you, what do you want us to do? And I felt like God just said, pick eight to ten people and just pour into them. Just disciple, disciple, disciple. And then set the tone that when that's done at the end of this school year, we are going to multiply. That those eight to ten people are going to go back out. You know what our group has done? It's shrunk. <laughs> I'm really good at growing down. Like <laughs> That's my spiritual gift. I can shrink things like crazy. But we have seen growth, and it was so scary as a pastor, as a church planner. I, I just went, ah, oh, but we should multiply. We need more, more, more. And God said, no, trust. And I'll tell you, the huddle that we started, which is what we're calling these, has been the most transformative thing in my life this whole year. And so when we roll back into fall, we're not starting these right now, but you need to be praying about it. You need to be thinking about it. We're going to be multiplying huddles. If you know you want in, don't, don't wait. Grab that connection card today. Say, I need in a huddle. It is simply teaching you what discipleship looks like and how to disciple others. We're going to do that. So by 2025, here's the dream. We want to see more than 50% of our church discipled in a huddle who are now making more disciples. Can you imagine? Listen, our average attendance right now is about 200. Can you imagine if 100 of you, I don't care if it's kids, youth, college, adults, older adults, really old adults, I don't care who it is. Can you imagine if a hundred of us gave up nine to 12 months of our life and said, I will be in attendance every couple weeks and I'm gonna learn what Jesus wants from me and I'm gonna learn how to pour that into other people. Can you imagine how that would change the shape of our church if the mentality was, I'm called to be on mission. This isn't just the pastor's mission, but I am called to make disciples. If a hundred of us said yes to that, what would it look like? Because we would start making more disciples. Here's the second way that we do this, 100 new families, connecting people and purpose. 
This is probably where the most, the, the, the clearest realization for me has come about to say, we've missed some things. That when it comes to helping you, say you're a first-time guest here, when it comes to helping you connect into, listen, not just feeling welcome. I think we're really good at making people feel welcome. I think this is one of the most welcoming churches I've ever been a part of. But I think what's hard is helping people go from feeling welcome to living the life of the church, to helping people live into the life of the church, to connect people. And so we are giving a ton of energy into helping spell out the next steps for folks, connecting people to a ministry group, connecting people to service, helping people go out into the world. So we think if those hundred families come in, we've got to shut our back door. Right, look around this room. You know there are people who have visited, loved it, felt welcome, and then they walked right out our back door because it's as big as a barn. We gotta close that back door, help people feel connected, get involved, live in to the life of the church. So here's the action that we're taking on this. I know some of you showed up expecting a sermon. You're getting a business plan. I apologize. We are restructuring. Now listen, this is, this is just big, but I want you to understand because we don't get a lot of meetings together. We're restructuring how our church is organized, okay? Frankly, I came to a realization about six months ago that the pace I was living into as your pastor was not sustainable for me to love my family well and to live my life well. So there's, there's just a realization. And I, that's not me whining. That's just me saying I can't keep doing it. And I am the obstacle in many ways. Ask our ministry leaders and our volunteers, who's the biggest problem in this church? Me. Because there are questions they have. There are emails that get sent. And there is so much pastoral work taking place, counseling, things that are going on, things i got to keep up with, that I couldn't answer the details and the logistics. And it's just not my strong suit. So we began dreaming, right? We began asking. We began praying. What does this look like to change this? What does this look like to shift this? Here's what's fun. We had an answer, I believe, one of the answers. You're part of the answer, too, right under our noses. Josh Thump, who has been our worship leader for several years now, is very, very strong at logistics and systems and structures and management and helping things get to where they need to be so that they're not like the machine that's all jangly and not working right. That's my gift. <laughs> Josh will be stepping into, our leaders have, have talked through this, will be stepping into the role of serving as our executive pastor. Yeah, that's exciting. Now let me tell you, I'm going to watch time. You guys came to the right service because I'll keep the other service late. <laughs> Let me tell you how this happened. Several years ago, I had a friend that called me from Pittsburgh and said, I've got a worship pastor position open. We, do you know anybody? And I said, no. <laughs> <laughs> and then I said, no, I do. I, we've got to, talk to, we got to talk to Josh. So I went to Josh. I said, God's doing some incredible things in your life. I know you're in higher ed. He works at Wesley and now was at D&E then. But you have some gifts that God wants to use. And I don't know if it's something you want, but if you want, go, and we're going to support you. We've always wanted to be a launch pad for ministry. And he did. He applied. And I was really disappointed that, hey, listen to God. Um, and I think, I, I, Josh, you can share this in a couple weeks. Josh is going to be preaching, and he'll be, he'll be sharing more of this story. But I think for Josh, it was a realization of some things of, yeah, this is a gift. This is a call. There's something in my life that I want to do. But he said, I don't want to leave our church. And I said, well, what do you want to do? You want to plant a church? Can you imagine me saying that? You want to go somewhere and plant something? No, that's not my strong suit either. I like systems. I like structure. And I said, well, what if we have an executive pastor role? What if you take some of this and, and we begin to share? By the way, this is what I've always wanted. This is not my church. This is a shared leadership church. 
and our leaders began to meet. Here's how this all went down. Our, our, the big question is always money, right? How are we going to pay for this? What does this look like? We, we pay a, 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 like peanuts to Josh. We're like, here's circus peanuts. Is that enough? Yep, that's good. So Sarah Campbell, who's been our administrative assistant, and we're going to celebrate her in a couple weeks, has stepped out. She's got a full-time job directing the senior center. She's a little bit overwhelmed by that. <laughs> Can you imagine being overwhelmed working with me? As she's stepping out, we've freed up a little bit of money that we've been able to create a part-time position for Josh. We are so excited about that. At the end of this service, we're going to pray over Josh. And I'm telling you, Josh is going to offer management and support that, that our ministry leaders that you all have not felt, right? Options for you to deal with things. It's going to be uh, amazing. And we're so excited about that. Third thing that we've been talking about, moving missions, mission and mountains. I don't want our church to be just about New Community Buchanan. I apologize, but you've got a pastor who's never going to be content with just making this place great. I've got a call. I've got an interest. I've got a burning passion that loves starting things, that loves strengthening things, that loves connecting things. So let me tell you how this happens. This, this is a serious question. How do we reach Appalachia? Why here? Can I just tell you a couple things about our region? The life expectancy of a man in Appalachia is a decade earlier than that of a man in Fairfax, Virginia. Do you realize that? One author said that if the people of Appalachia weren't white, we would call it a reservation. And that visions of the rapture must have a certain appeal for people who already have been left behind. See, as it's so common in this region, those who can, based on their skills or academic ability or their desperation, will get out as quickly as they can. So why stay here and do this? Because we believe that the gospel is about this. See, we believe this is what God cares about. I, I love the ministry focus that has emerged over the past years with a call to focus on cities as a strategic center. But when you only focus on the city, you forget the rural parts. You know where Jesus lived and spent most of his time? In the rural parts. And we have some cities here, but we believe the kingdom of God was first proclaimed by men and women who emerged from the rural regions, fishermen, farmers, carpenters, outcasts, who understood what cultural challenges were really all about. And because of this, we see the good news as Jesus proclaimed it for the poor, the prisoners, the blind, and the oppressed. And we believe that the good news is going to find fertile soil in our region. And simply put, we care about this region because not many others are. The Presbyterian Church last year lost 143 churches. 143 churches in the U.S. closed down. When you factor population growth, we're not even close to keeping up. In a fairly famous interview from 2009, Bill O'Reilly, I'm not claiming politics, but this is what he said about the culture of Appalachia. He said, the culture of Appalachia harms the children almost beyond repair. He described the region as a place where kids get married at 16 and 17 and their parents are drunk. He said, like so many others, that if he'd been born there, he would have moved away the first chance he got. Now, unfortunately, this is just one of the many negative association, associations so typically heard here. Rednecks, hillbillies, white trash all stand as these labels that have come to stigmatize a place that I believe is beautiful, that has persevered, a place of strength in need of redemption. The stigmas of our region often cloak the real challenges and eliminate the opportunity for true hope to enter in. So we want to unmask the bias and reveal the hearts that are in need of grace. So here's what we're doing. Ready? This is going to, some of you are going to stress out over all this vision, right? Over the next year, we're going to be launching what we call the New Community Network. This has been a dream of mine for several years to say, what would it look like to be a network hub? Because you know what I find? There's not a lot of resources. There's not a lot of support in our region for ministries that are launching, for churches that are planting, for, for people that are saying in their community, we're small, we don't have any money, everybody's forgotten us, everybody's leaving, but we've got a heart to proclaim the gospel. How do we do that? 
And so we want to launch the new community network. When this, this became a part of my dream, I said, God, I, I can't do that without help. There's no way I can commit to that. And what we're dreaming about is through this network, we want to see strategic partnership and the launch by 2025, listen, of at least 10 missional hubs. Now, you go, what the heck does that mean? All right? Here's what I mean by that. That may be church plants. That may be church plants that look a little bit like us, that feel a little bit like us, but it may be completely different. We think, what if, what if our, our vision as the network was to start things, strengthen things, and connect things? How many of you know a church that you grew up in, a church up in the hollers, in the hills, that is dying? Six people, four people, eight people, 12 people. How many of you know those churches have years and years, 75 years, 100 years, 120 years of legacy in those little pockets that no one else will ever be able to touch. We know that, right? We know those churches have existed there. What if our network had a heart that said, we don't care what denomination you are. We'll have some theological stuff we both affirm, but we would love to come alongside of you in your existence and help you not die, help you reconnect, help you think about what it means to keep reaching your population in a way that we can't because local people can always reach the culture better. That's why God didn't tell us to go hire somebody outside. He said, I've been raising up a leader from within. We understand that. And so what if, and this is what we're asking God, would you give us 100 new families at New Community Buchanan over the next six, seven years, and through these missional hubs, would you give us 1,000 different family units that find sanctuary and hope through the ministry of the New Community Network? That might be somebody saying, I own a barbershop and I love Jesus. Can you help me be missional? In August, you know what we're dreaming about? We're going to host a conference here, a new community conference. Every one of you is required to be there. I don't know if you knew that, but you're required to be there. And we are simply going to pour into you over the course of a Friday night and a Saturday all day, and then we're going to worship together on Sunday. But you know what? Bobby's church is invited. Anybody that we connect with, anybody that you know that says, I have a heart for mission, I have a heart to reach my community, we know a church that's dying, and we want to bring it back to life, they are invited to be here, and we're going to offer coaching, we're going to offer resources, we're going to support that. And here's how that's going to work. I told you, you're just, this story has been in my heart, I can't wait, I've been like, <laughs> you feel it. I said, God, I can't, I can't do this on my own, and I can't expect our leaders who are, <laughs> some of you are like, I'm already tired, and you're adding a network, Awesome. You've got to raise somebody up. So here's what he did. He raised Josh up. And then over the course of the past couple of years, I got to know somebody. Jesse, I'll go ahead and invite you up. Jesse and Beth Rosella, some of you know. Jesse has been working with InterVarsity for several years. InterVarsity is a campus ministry. And we met several years ago um, as we were trying to launch a, a, a part of InterVarsity at Wesleyan's campus. And immediately I found a common heart with Jesse Rosellas. And just shared this heart of what, is it, what does it look like to not just reach college campuses, but to reach our region? Come on up. And so we talked, and I don't even remember who said it first, but I know that, Beth, you come too. Because Beth is the best part, right? <laughs> but I think Jesse was experiencing some discontent as well. And over the course of the next year, two years, six months, I don't know what it was, he decided to say, I'm going to step out of InterVarsity which he serves as a missionary position. So everything he gains salary-wise, work-wise, is a missionary. Missionaries raise money, right? Jesse has said, I'm going to leave InterVarsity, and I'd like to come and help you launch New Community Network. So Jesse, I'm introducing to you for the first time, is our director of New Community Network, a full-time staff member of New Community Network, which he will be launching. We will be encouraging. You know what we're doing? We're creating a structure that we will then submit to. We will then live under. And Jesse and Beth are an incredible couple. So Jesse, 
I'm like, I'm keeping them late. So the pressure's on you. Just a couple minutes. Anything you want to share about your story, introduce your family. I know your kiddos are here, but anything that God's putting on your heart. Yeah, thanks. I just, listening to you, I'm getting that much more excited for it. I'm like, it's just good. It's good for my soul, and it's good to hear it. So thank you. Yeah, just glad to get be here this morning to share a little bit with you and uh, to get you know you better. I've preached here, I think, maybe a couple of years ago, but uh, yeah, Beth and I have just been working with InterVarsity for the last 17 years. Uh, and just a small part of that time, or well, a large part of that time, was working here in West Virginia as the director. And we saw the ministry grow from 15 students uh, to 400 students. And we're on, we're on one campus, and we're hopefully going to be on 10 by the fall. And so in one way, it's really hard to step away from that and say, ah, Jesus, you're really blessing and doing great things on the college campus. Uh, but at the same time, similarly as Justin was sharing, I just love seeing the gospel go to new places, seeing the gospel go to those who aren't hearing it yet, and seeing those who need to be reached actually having their eyes open and getting hope for the first time. And Beth has just been a huge part of um, partnering with me in my ministry. And like he said, she is the best part. When we go outside to West Virginia, more people know her because she's had a national position doing evangelism. Uh, and she's done that for the last uh, 13 years. But she's actually taken a job here, uh, even in Buchanan, uh, in Tenerton, as a teacher recently. And so uh, Jesus just keeps providing and has made the door really clear and open to us of the direction we need to be heading and the resources, the skills, the um, just the talents that I was using within a varsity, I feel like Jesus is saying, what does it look like to say we were helping uh, nursing students reach nursing students or a football t- player uh, reach his football team or if somebody was on the ski club or in a fraternity, how do you start reaching those networks and those communities? And we've done that on campus for years, but what's it look like for us to say, I'm a school teacher. How do we reach other school teachers? Or I'm a banker. Or for example, we uh, when I look at the scriptures, Jesus is constantly, and you probably already preached, so I'm not going to try to preach another sermon for you, but this one picture I keep going back to is uh, the picture of the banquets where the host wants to throw a banquet and welcome people in, and people make excuses and don't come, the ones he knows, but then he turns around and says to his servant, go back out into the streets, go into the alleyways, invite people in, and so he does, and he says, comes back, there's still more room, so he sends the servant, who is us, were this servant to go back and be persistent, to be persuasive. And he sends them then into the country roads, in the county lanes, and says, bring more in, and there's more room. I think Jesus wants us to throw banquets. He wants us to be bringing people in. And we have banquets all week long. It's not just Sunday morning. It's between the Sundays. One picture of that uh, I was talking about with Beth this morning and remembering was just Samaritan's Purse does Operation Christmas Child. Do you all do Operation Christmas Child? So uh, we do that every year come November, right? And so uh, here's a great chance to actually have a banquet, but not do it in the church. And Beth said, well, my parents own a winery. We have a lot of people who come to that. But one of the things I love about West Virginians is they're just generous. They love to give to people who have needs. So she did the Operation Christmas Child. Did you want to share the story instead? No? Okay. Um, so, but uh, she said, I'm just going to do this with the people who come to the winery. So she set up and, you know, publicized it at the winery several weeks in a row and then did it at the winery. And we had 35 folks come out who don't go to church. Uh, more than half of them don't go to church. And they're not going to step inside a church. And they spent several hours packing up all these boxes, between 75 and 100 boxes they packed up. And then she turned around and said, let me share with you what we do with these. And she shared the gospel with those 35 folks. And then all 35 of them are in a big room like this. They kind of sat around and then prayed over these boxes. And so often we think we're sending these boxes to share the gospel across the world. We could throw a banquet with the things that we do every day, every week, what we're doing with our church or that we're doing in our lives as a school teacher to say, or as a, maybe a soccer coach. 
What's it look like to do that? And that's my hope is to say, how do I come alongside the church and create these networks, help reach these other corners like you were mentioning? And I'm excited. I think Jesus is going to do big things as we share big banquets. Yeah. Amen. We'll have you guys come back at the end of this thing. So I don't know if you know this, but I love this place. <laughs> and I love you guys as a church. As we're here on Foundation Sunday, this is what I want to close with. Um, we build what we love. We build the things that we love. We pour into the things that we love. We put our energy and our life and our resources into the things we love. And today, I hope, is a foundation for you to, to decide some of the things that you love. The last thing I want to do, and the band can go ahead and come. Um, I want to give you a card that's going to actually ask you over the next several weeks. If you know today, great. But we're going to ask you over the next several weeks to decide what is it that you love? What is it that you care about? What is it that you think about the most? If you look at the back of the paper that we gave you, we're asking for you to consider three commitments. The back of the big paper, and you'll get the card. But the first thing is this, and this is, I promise, this is where we're going to close. That we would ask you to, if you love what God is doing here, if you love what God is building here, to commit your capabilities to commit what you're capable of to the life of new community. Now listen, some of you are already highly involved. This is not a further guilt trip for you. Some of you are not involved and you need to step in. In the next several weeks, you're going to see a big board in the back that says, say yes to, and you're going to have cards. Some of you have wanted to get involved and you haven't known how to get involved. That's because I was in charge of logistics and I was screwing it up. But you're going to see very practical ways to say yes to. Say yes to serving in Kids Down. Say yes to showing up at Men's Ministries Bible Study. Say yes to getting involved in the band, on the computer. There's going to be very practical ways that you would say, I am capable of clicking a computer mouse. I can say yes to that. I will jump in. You might say yes to Appalachian Impact and mentoring a child. You might say yes to Ethiopia and sponsoring a child. We've got seven children. Our, our numbers have shifted a little bit. Some people have had to pull out. We've got seven children in Ethiopia that are unsponsored, that can be sponsored when you say yes. We're asking you to commit your time. That's the second thing on the back of that page, that, that some of you might be called, that some of you God might be saying, you have never taken a step to be discipled, and you need to be discipled. And so next fall, you need to say yes. You need to commit your time to saying, I can give up two nights a month to being discipled. You might connect your time with a ministry, with men, with women, with kids town, with youth. You might commit your time, listen, watch this, I'm going to step on some feet, to just being here on Sundays more regularly. To not actually disappearing when you heard the pastor wasn't going to be there because he's running through the mountains. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> to actually making this place about what you bring into it instead of what you get out of it. Committing your time. Here's the last thing. This is the stuff that nobody likes to talk about in church, but we got we to talk about it. Committing your finances. I'm just going to be really honest with you. Right now, we need about $3,500 a week in our offering to keep ministry going and, and, and not have to make some hard cuts and really think strategically about what we're doing. I want you to understand these positions that I believe God has put in our place for Josh to step in as executive pastor, for Jesse to come on as the director, they're costing us nothing extra. That's a God thing. Like, that's amazing. But we need about $3,500 a week. Right now, we're averaging about $3,100 a week in offerings. This is how this plays out. If 100 families said, we'll give $35 a week as our tithe. Do you know what a tithe is in the Bible? It's 10%. If you gave $35 a week, unless I'm really off on math, some of you are going to check me and call me out if I am, that comes out to about an $18,000 a year salary. 
okay? Some of you don't make that. That's okay. No pressure. You figure out what giving looks like for you. Some of you buy more coffee that costs that much. And we need to step up. We need to be in that. We are also, over the next several weeks, I'm going to be launching this. You're going to see social media about this. We're asking for foundation donors. Here's what I mean by that. I'm dreaming. I'm wondering what it might look like if 300 people over the course of the next year, 300 individuals said, over the course of this year, we'll give $1,000 above and beyond our gift. We'll figure out how to do that. Do you know how much closer that would put us to, to purchasing this outright? Can you imagine? I'm actually, Jesse and I are talking about what it might look like to create an alumni network for a new community. To say, you graduated from here, now you're a doctor, now you're a lawyer, you went to Wesleyan, and now you're successful. We're creating a network we'd like you to give back to this region. I think it's an incredible dream. You might be called to become a foundation donor because we build the foundation of what we love. I'm asking you May 26th, that Sunday, to make a commitment that you're going to hold to. If you can do it sooner, great. And can I just tell you this? Listen, (laughs) I promise I'm done. If you don't have any money, yeah, go ahead. This is this is this. It's time. Bring bring some Jesus to this moment. Play him off. <laughs> if you don't have any money to give, that's the perfect time to start giving. Because many of us, many of you, get to a point where you finally have money and you can't give it. You can't give it. So if you start giving before you have any money, that's that's where everything changes. Listen, we're not running, but we have a race to settle down, to plant gardens. I'm going to invite, very quickly, our leadership team to come, our ministry leaders to come right down here to the front. We're going to pray over each of them.